0: exactly the welcome I get in the Orthodox community in Brooklyn, so thank you. <laughs> they say, how do you stay humble? I say, it's pretty easy. <laughs> well, shalom. Ah, uh, there, you're speaking Hebrew, that's good. So, uh, I was, as I was driving up, I thought, wow, you know, Millington uh, Baptist has really gone far in their relationships with the Jewish people. When I drove up, I thought, can't believe they put a menorah and and a dreidel on their property. Well, you didn't, but there's always next year. But I, it was I was really surprised. But you're right next door to the Lubavitch, so um, and uh, so am I because uh, I I do live in the Holy Land, uh, Brooklyn, where I came from this morning. <laughs> And I actually live about 10 minutes from the headquarters of uh, this worldwide global Hasidic movement that is trying to reconvert people like me and, and others. But it's, it's a joy to be at Millington. Um, I have a long history with the church. Some of you are too new and too young to know it, and, but maybe a few. I think the best thing that ever happened was in, I was in a little bit of a transition, and one of the reasons I've had the long-term relationship with Millington uh, was not just because Peter Pendel was nice to me, but I, I've had a long history uh, because I am one of the few conservative Baptist Jews in Chosen People Ministries. So, and, uh, and, I, and I want you to know, I became a conservative Baptist and was ordained a conservative Baptist in New Jersey at Sarah Woods Baptist, or now Bible Church, and, and because I'm, I, I just had theological convictions that drove me to become a conservative Baptist. Not really. I, I became a believer, didn't know that there were Christians in New Jersey, and was driving up Route 9 and I saw a sign that said, we preach the Bible. I said, wow, that's great. I'll go in there and see what, what that is. And they said, we're a conservative Baptist church. I said, sounds good, I'll join. That was it, 48 years ago. So, uh, But I'm, I'm delighted uh, uh, to be here. We uh, I've had a heart. I was born in Brooklyn, raised in Queens, graduated high school in, from Old Bridge, New Jersey, and uh, so I'm kind of, a, you know, confused. And But uh, I really have a heart for reaching the Jewish people of Brooklyn. Uh, one reason is because I'm a lazy missionary, and I don't want to work for it. You know, everybody in Jewish missions talks about how they have found a Jewish person to talk to. I just walk out the door. It's easy, so... There are about three and a half million people in Brooklyn. There's about a million Jewish people, and so it's very simple. And so I've had a a heart for Brooklyn for a long time. And in one ministry transition, uh, before I became president of Chosen People, uh, I had a good, strong relationship with the church, with Millington, and uh, I rented this little property on what's called Ocean Parkway, which is probably the most Jewish internal highway there is outside of Jerusalem. And... And so it was just prime for a sign, you know? And the Jews need a sign. <laughs> I'm a literalist. <laughs> and so uh, I needed a sign, but I needed a special sign. Number one, it needed to be on a metal pole that couldn't be cut down. <laughs> Number two, it needed to be uh, behind uh, glass or something where you can wipe off the spray paint and it couldn't be broken. <laughs> So there were, there were a lot of specifications for this. And so I was, uh, some of the adult <coughs> folks at Millington at that time, who are now, who are my age, well, anyway. So at that time, uh, they, they helped me. And so a few of the guys at Millington built the sign for me. And uh, we brought it into Brooklyn, and we dug a hole, cement. Uh, we put cement in the hole. About two feet we went. <laughs> and no, This was an indestructible sign. And uh, and in the sign, I I just put one message. And the message said, free New Testaments. But I did it in Yiddish, the language my parents spoke when they didn't want me to know what they were saying. (laughs) Little German, little Hebrew, and so on. And uh, and people kept crossing. And I want you to know that there was only one ultra-Orthodox Hasidic Jew, actually, who came in and asked for a New Testament, (laughs) just one. And lo and behold, he got saved. So, Millington, God bless you. See, it's not every day a Hasidic Jewish person gets saved. And uh, his name is Joseph. Please pray for him. He's been a believer a long time. And uh, somehow he manages to stay within the Hasidic community. And, uh, but uh, it's not easy for him. So... So Brooklyn's a great place to minister. Uh, this summer we're having Shalom New York. We usually have Shalom Brooklyn, so we need a short-term ministry team for at least a week uh, of any age group. Uh, so come into Brooklyn, and it's the only foreign country in the, in the United States, and you don't need a passport. But it doesn't hurt. And so I hope that some of you will consider. We'd love to have that relationship uh, with Millington. So when I became a, a believer in Jesus, <clears throat> I was uh, already a college dropout. I was in and out of college at, the, at 17, and uh, I skipped a grade in New York, which was a big mistake, but they kind of offered that to almost anybody. <laughs> and so I ended up, I was too young, and ended up going out to San Francisco, and of course that was the time to be a hippie. And... Uh, and some of you don't know, look it up on Wikipedia, you'll find out what it is. And so I was, I was out in San Francisco and, uh, you know, minding my own business, dealing drugs, and uh, had a lot of cash and was having a nice time. I knew that one day, you know, the shoe would drop and I'd have to be a normal middle-class Jewish guy and come back to New Jersey and become an accountant or something. But, but, but while it was happening, I was having fun. And then, it was very disruptive, my two best friends became, both Jewish, became believers in Jesus. That, that was unexpected. And so, of course, I felt that they had done some kind of drug overdose or were hypnotized by this group, because Jews don't believe in Jesus. And so I tried to talk them out of it. They encouraged me to read the Bible, which I then began reading, of course, Bible. Bible. You know, we used the word Dave is so hip. I mean, Older Testament. That was great. You know, he's good. And... And so uh, Jewish people don't have an, o- an Old Testament. We just have a Bible because there's no New Testament. Uh, some of you are figuring it out. And so I began reading the Bible and uh, saw all my heroes in there because I had gone to a pretty religious Hebrew school four days a week for six years. And so I was pretty steeped. And, uh, but I read it in Hebrew, and my Hebrew was never that good. And So now I was reading it in English, and I discovered that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and David, and Isaiah, and all of my heroes... What made them great was they had a relationship with God. and Somehow I had missed that part. And I compared that relationship with God with the relationship my friends now had through Jesus. And I started feeling a, a little concerned because I knew that if I believed in Jesus, my mother would really kill me, which she did not. But. And so I was really worried about that. And so, uh, but I kept getting drawn closer and closer. And so one day I prayed and I said, God, if you're really there... Show me how to get to you. And that night, I was working in a camp, and in the campground, they only had one phone with a phone booth. Again, watch Doctor Who or or Wikipedia, and you'll find out what a phone booth is. And on on the ledge, glowing in the moonlight. Now, a lot of things were glowing for me, but this was actually, it was the moonbeams hitting it. And I looked down, and there was a copy of the strange book, and I picked it up, and it had like a newspaper cover on it. It said, Good News for Modern Man. I couldn't figure out what it was. And I looked through the stick figures, and I figured it out. It was, it was a Jesus book, because the stick figures had long hair, you know, like me. And so I figured it was a Jesus book. And I look on the front, and it said, Modern English Version of the New Testament. I said, Oh, boy. I pray God, show me. Now I find a New Testament glowing in, on, in a phone booth, you know. <laughs> this surely is a sign for me. And uh, so I stole the New Testament, And and I began reading it, and, you know, and I was shocked because not once did Jesus celebrate Christmas. He celebrated Hanukkah. So I felt comfortable with Jesus, not very comfortable with Christians, honestly, but I felt comfortable with Jesus. And uh, one thing led to another, and I accepted the Lord and then went back into uh, San Francisco and uh, was looking around for Christians. I didn't find any. Of course, I didn't know where to look. I I should have looked in a church, but I didn't think of that. And so I didn't find any Christians. But then I was hanging around the Haight-Ashbury, and I was kind of accosted by a Christian. Uh, And uh, he was doing his seminary evangelism assignment for Golden Gate Baptist Seminary, and he ran into me and he said, you know, you know, are you a Christian? I said, no, I'm Jewish. And we went through a whole line of questioning. And uh, I looked at him and I said, you know, I think, but I think I believe like you do. And uh, he didn't believe a word I said and uh, was unconvinced. Uh, but he gave me an invitation to Thanksgiving. And so I went to my first Thanksgiving in November 1970. And I remember it like it was yesterday because it was so extraordinary because they actually gave thanks to somebody. I mean, you'd be surprised how many people celebrate Thanksgiving and, oh, they thank the cook, they thank the, you know, but they don't thank God. And, uh, and so I was just astounded by, by this whole thing. And I loved it. And they sang uh, Christian songs, of which I knew none. And up until that point, I, I really did think I was the only Christian in the state of California. And so, which made, well, anyway. So, so I walked, walked out, and as I'm leaving the young guy puts his, his arm around me and he says, "Ah, oh, Mitch, if you think you like Thanksgiving, wait till you celebrate Christmas." <laughs> I said, "Was that in the contract?" <laughs> I mean, you know, Jesus didn't even celebrate Christmas. Why am I celebrating Christmas?" And because I was raised in such a Jewish home in, 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 in New York City, and you know, Christmas is our protest holiday. You know, if you want to, if you want to find a, a Jewish home in the Christmas season, look around for the menorahs in the windows, you know, and uh, including ours. And so uh, I, 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 I was, I felt funny about it, and uh, I said, do, you, "Do we have to celebrate Christmas?" Because I was used to holidays that you have to do, okay? And he said, "You have." I said, "No, you don't have to do it." I said, oh, "Good." And uh, so I had this uneasy relationship with Christmas from the beginning. And uh, and today I'm really in a quandary, okay? Because today is the first day of Hanukkah, and you lit the candles. <laughs> but they're Advent candles. Again, I'm confused. What am I? Well, people say, are you? Well, do you celebrate Christmas or do you celebrate Chronic- uh, Hanukkah? I say yes. I say, well, do the math. On, on, on Hanukkah, you get eight presents. Christmas, you get one present. Which one would you give up? <laughs> Add them together, you get nine. I'm good. Cost me money, though, for my kids. And so, uh, but I, was con- I, I, I still always had an uneasy relationship until uh, the Lord solved it because my, my oldest daughter was born on Christmas Day. So, you know, by two, she understood people were not decorating for her birthday. And... Uh, <laughs> And, uh, but, but now we finally had something to do. You know what Jewish people do on Christmas Day. That's why the Chinese restaurants are full. <laughs> and so, so finally, you know, we had a birthday to celebrate, and we incorporated Jesus' birthday too. But uh, over the years, I finally come to terms uh, with uh, uh, Christmas and enjoy it because I see Christmas through Jewish eyes. And so I'm, I'm once again comfortable. In fact... If Jesus had celebrated Christmas, he would have seen it through Jewish eyes, too, since he was Jewish. And so uh, this morning, we're going to have an expanded Advent, and we're going to take a look at Christmas through Jewish eyes by opening up uh, the Hebrew Scriptures. And I hope that we'll come to the same conclusion, that uh, what I really believe now is that Christmas is a Jewish holiday. In fact, I'm thinking of leading a movement. (laughs) If you join, I'll get you a T-shirt. So I really believe that Christmas is a Jewish holiday because, first of all, without the Jewish people, there'd be no Christmas. (laughs) I mean, think about that one. In fact, without Hanukkah, there'd be no Christmas because if Antiochus Epiphanes, or the Jewish people call him Antiochus the Madman, if that Syrian Greek general who picked up Israel in the process of getting Syria and, and some other countries after Alexander the Great died if he had destroyed the Jews as he intended to and turned the temple in Jerusalem into a temple of Zeus, if he had succeeded, then Jesus would have been a Greek. Who would have known who he was? There never would have been prophecies fulfilled because Jesus would have been a Gentile. But instead, I believe God gave victory to the Maccabee family, and to the Jewish people. And the Jewish people overthrew uh, Antiochus Epiphanes and his armies. And you know the Hanukkah story. They went into the temple and found that a pig was slaughtered on the temple. Horrible. And then they only had enough oil in the menorah in the temple to last for one day. And it took eight days to cure the oil. Uh, And lo and behold, a miracle happened. And the oil lasted for eight days, which is why we celebrate Hanukkah for eight days. There you go. That's the story. Did that really happen? Oh, I don't think so. You know, maybe I wasn't there. But did I believe it growing up? Absolutely. <laughs> and you believe that Santa came, you know, so, so I, be- I believe it. But I do know this, that if there was no Hanukkah, there'd be no Christmas. But we have a God who's faithful, don't we? And what he promises, he fulfills. He's a promise maker. He's not a promise breaker. He's a promise keeper. So let's take a look at some of those promises. And we'll see uh, what we can learn about Christmas through Jewish eyes. So, first prophecy we're going to look at is way back. um, Well, actually, we're going to look at a, a New Testament passage before we look at the first prophecy. So let's look at Luke chapter 1, verse 30. Uh, this is after uh, Gabriel or Gavriel, had uh, uh, pronounced what I believe is the first Christmas birth miracle. So I believe there were two Christmas birth miracles. The first Christmas birth miracle you find earlier in Luke chapter 1, where Gabriel announced to Zacharias, Elizabeth's husband, who was a priest serving in the temple, that his elderly wife, Elizabeth, was going to have a baby. Now, uh, the last time that happened was with Abraham and Sarah. And so we don't know how old Elizabeth was, but we know she was old. And so uh, that's the first miracle. And that Gabriel announced to, uh, to, to uh, Zacharias. Then he went over to, and met Mary. And he made this pronouncement to Mary. And if you read through Luke chapter 1's pretty long, long chapter, 80 verses, but there's promise after promise, and all of these... In fact, Luke 1 makes no sense at all if you don't understand the Old Testament. Because the, the, almost every verse among those 80 verses is some kind of allusion or reference to what God had promised previously and was now fulfilling. And so, Luke chapter 1, verse 30. The angel said to her, to Mary, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. All right. He's a boy. It's before ultrasound. Bear a son. And you shall call his name. You ready for the name? It says Jesus, doesn't it? But you know that Gabriel didn't speak English, right? So, And his name will be Yeshua. It means God is the Savior. It's a composite Hebrew term. And his name will be God is the Savior, Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. So we know that he will be a boy. We know that he will be a Savior. We know that he will be a Son of God. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And we know that he will receive the throne of David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob, a synonym for Israel, forever. Wow, what an action-packed, Old Testament-packed promise uh, to Mary as being shown as fulfilled, or will be fulfilled. And his kingdom will have no end. In order to unpack that verse, to understand it, we have to go back in history. In fact, we have to go back, so far in history, we have to go back to Adam and Eve. (laughs) That's pretty far back. And so we're going to look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, which many people say is the first messianic prophecy in the Bible. The first messianic prophecy. And in Genesis 3, 15, after Adam and Eve are held accountable for eating the pomegranate or apple or whatever that was, and that's when uh, Adam set the pace, the standard for male excuses. And he said, it was the woman you gave me which we deeply appreciate. So making excuses and blaming it on your wife is biblical. So there you go. So Genesis 3.15. Good thing you came to the second service. Yeah. So in Genesis 3.15. And I will put, this is God speaking to the serpent and to the woman and to the man. I will put enmity, war, between you and the woman's. So the serpent and the woman will be at war. But then it will be resolved. And between your seed and her seed, between their generations, he, the seed of the woman, shall bruise you on the head, which we all know will kill a snake. And uh, I grew up going to the Catskills, you know, the Jewish uh, Alps, you know. <laughs> and, and so if, if you want it, we love killing snakes. You know, you catch them with a little V-stick and then you step on them and somehow little boys just love that. And so so to kill a snake you need to crush its head so he, the descendant of the woman will crush the head the Hebrew word for bruise can also be crushed will crush the head but in the process of crushing the head and destroying the snake, destroying serpent you shall bruise him on the heel so the seed of the serpent will bruise the seed of the woman on the heel a hurtful but not fatal injury But that's all we know about this first promise. So this promise of redemption, which comes early, it comes as early as the first sin. So you have sin, judgment, the promise of of redemption, the hope of redemption, all within one chapter. Amazing, huh? And so this hope uh, is, is, is established by God. But we don't know a lot about it. So now the rest of the Old Testament narrative, the rest of the story, is God filling in the details of who this person will be. Because as the rabbis say, the world was created for the Messiah. (laughs) Don't you love that one? That's a piece of Jewish wisdom you want to keep. So now the next passage is in Genesis chapter 12. There are a few in between, but we don't have time. Maybe I'll reference them. So now we learn not only that this person who will solve the sin problem, this person, and solve the Satan problem, this person would be born of a woman, a unique way to phrase it, we don't understand that till later, born of a woman. And now we find out that this person will be Jewish. So the Lord said to Abram in Genesis 12, go from your country, from your relatives, from your father's house, to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I'll bless you, make your name great, and you shall be a blessing, and I'll bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you, and through you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So just a quick quiz. How many of you want to curse the Jewish people? How many of you want to bless the Jewish people? My suggestion is the latter. Just Just advice from your friends at Chosen People Ministries. Why? Because God chose the Jewish people to be his bridge of redemption to a broken and dark, sinful world. The Jewish people weren't chosen to be special. They weren't chosen to to survive. The Jewish people were chosen for a mission. And the mission was to bless all of y'all. Okay? So, and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. But in this, we know that the Messiah would be a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And actually, if you take it a little deeper, and I'm going to do it quickly, we find out that Abram actually was in the line of Shem. And the line of redemption, we have good reason to believe, because of Genesis chapter 9, continued after the flood through Shem, and then ended up with Abraham, Abram, Abraham, and then Isaac and Jacob. So there is a very clear line of redemption from Shem through Abraham, through the patriarchs, all the way through. Now, the next prophecy, we learn about the tribe, where the Messiah would uh, come from. So there were 12 tribes, Judah is the fourth tribe, not the first tribe, and so we read in genesis forty nine ten which is jacob's deathbed prophecy, that whoever this redeemer, whoever this savior, whoever this penultimate Jewish leader, whoever he will be, he will come from the tribe of Judah, unlikely, should have come from the first, comes from the fourth. So we read the sceptre shall not depart from Judah. The, the symbol of royalty, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. Two symbols of royalty. Until Shiloh comes. Interestingly, in Jewish literature, in the Talmud, Shiloh is understood as one of the names of the Messiah. And so Jewish people would have no trouble. An educated Jewish person, check out, you know, just talk to some of the people down the road, you know. Say, can I read Genesis 49, 10 with you? You know. And, uh, I'm serious. Uh, They will be shocked. I want at least five of you to give it a try. Okay, Report back. So, until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples, which is also a potential play on words in the Hebrew, because the literal Hebrew, Shiloh, if it's not a proper name, means to him whose right it is, or to him who has authority. So Judah will be the royal tribe, and uh, and one day, uh, they will produce the ultimate Jewish leader. That's all it says. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples, which, by the way, just so you understand, the word there for peoples is goyim, which means it's not just the Jews, but the Gentiles. So you have a lot packed into Genesis 49.10. Now, we go to the next passage. In Second Samuel 7, chapters Uh, Chapter seven, verses sixteen through seventeen. You with me? Okay. All right. Too fast. Okay. You can argue with the pastors for more time, but you know. But I think we have enough. All right. So here's the promise. So David sinned with Bathsheba, um, and uh, and uh, that was that was a problem. So we know he was imperfect. But previous, David also. Just didn't quite understand God that well. I mean, it gives me great comfort to know that he was a man after God's own heart. You know, do you know the Yiddish word schlep? It's a great word. You know, God loves schleps. I mean, you know, but I know you think of King David as a warrior and a Hebrew, but let me, he was a very flawed person, okay? So David says, hey, listen, God, I know you need some help here, so I'm going to build you a house. God says, no, you're not going to build me a house because you're flawed. In fact, I'm going to build you a house. But it's not going to be physical. I'm going to build you a dynasty that will endure forever. So here's the promise. Your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Even with all the dumb things you do. And your throne will be established forever. Whoever said there wasn't grace in the Old Testament, huh? Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and all this vision, so Nathan spoke to David. So we understand fully that the ultimate Jewish ruler will be a son of David. He will be from the tribe of Judah, from the house of David. So if you were looking for this person, this redeemer, and let's say you were looking at resumes on monster.com or something like that, then you understand that the, the job requirements are really beginning to narrow. And so already there's, there's not a lot of people who could be that person that was going to smash the head of the devil. And it goes on, and it gets far more particular. In Isaiah chapter 7, 14, there's a marvelous promise. In fact, it's at the heart of what we're celebrating, isn't it? Therefore, uh, Now, in this instance, Isaiah is speaking to Ahaz, who himself was a little bit on the corrupt side and really wasn't looking for a sign. He was looking to uh, manipulate the northern kingdom or maybe uh, someone else. But Ahaz was not uh, uh, the most honest person. But uh, God said, listen, I'm going to give you a sign. And uh, we have reason to believe from the text that the sign was not just for him and for his generation, but it was a sign to the whole house of Israel. Uh, Forever, He says, look, the Lord's going to give you more of a sign than you were even asking for because you really didn't even want that sign. So I'm going to give you what you didn't even ask for. So the Lord's going to give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son. There's that son thing again, so we know it. And she will call his name Emmanuel. So the Lord himself will give you a sign and a testing miracle. And a virgin will have a child. Now, admittedly, in the Jewish community, the Hebrew word that is used here for virgin is debated as to whether or not it means young woman or virgin. But the the logical response is the most sensible one. What kind of young maiden, which is the other translation, would would not be a virgin? You you understand. If, If she was not a virgin, she'd be a dead young maiden. The Greek Jews understood it when they translated the Old Testament into Greek in the third century BC. They translated this Hebrew word with the specific Greek word that can only mean virgin. So I think we're in good shape here. It's quoted in the New Testament. It's explained in the New Testament. It's fulfilled in the New Testament. I think we're good. So the Lord will give you a sign. A virgin will be with child, but it goes much deeper. And bear a son, and you will call his name Emmanuel. Now, in Hebrew, the uh, em the part, the preposition part, is comes first. And then the God part comes second. Okay? So you will call him Emmanuel, which more literally means with us, God. With us, God. I could never believe That God would become a man because that was idolatry according to the Jewish community. I could never believe it. I could never preach it. It would definitely inhibit my celebration of Christmas. I could never say it to another Jewish person unless I believed that it was predicted in the Old Testament, in the Jewish Bible. This gives me the confidence to be able to speak to my Jewish family and friends and say, if you believe that God became a man, you're not an idolater, you're actually consistent with what Moses and the prophets taught all along. So the virgin will, be a, will bear a son and you will call his name Emmanuel. So there's a double whammy there. Not only will a virgin have a child, that's pretty miraculous, but the child would be God in the flesh. Next prophecy, Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. So we're, we're going through the path here, adding qualification over qualification, and at the end of the trail, you're going to see that there was only one person who could possibly fulfill all of these job requirements. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. For unto us a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. Now look at these names. We sang them, at least half of them. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. He doesn't need advice from any human being. Mighty God, he is Almighty God. Actually refers to, the Hebrew word there implies uh, heavenly warrior. He's Almighty God, he's the one who fights for you. Eternal Father, or better, Father of Eternity and the Sarshalom, the Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. Now, take a look. It's possible because there are names in the Old Testament that use the name of God that do not refer to an incarnated uh, 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 God in the flesh. That's true. That's true. There are quite a few names. However, look at the relationship between the names, and the latter part of the prophecy. So there'll be no end to the increase of his government. Who's the he? He's the one with these names. Or of peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom. Okay, now we've got it. Not only does he have these names, but he's the son of David. He's the king we were expecting. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and uphold it with justice and righteousness, For how long? From then on and forevermore. Funny thing is, when when God says this will last forever, you know what? It lasts forever. From then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. So not only will this son be born of a virgin and be God in the flesh, he will be the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, eternal Father, Prince of Peace, and he will be the one who will reign on his father or great-great-grandfather's throne, the throne of David forever. And that, my brothers and sisters, cannot be separated from Christmas. You cannot separate the first coming from the second coming. And today, when we think about a beautiful child born in a manger, we have to remember that the king of glory was wrapped in swaddling clothes. It's the king of glory who was incarnated. He is a beautiful little child when he was born. But let me tell you, he is a glorious king who will rule forever. You can't separate the two. Now, for no extra money, I'm throwing in an unusual prophecy. Does that come with a T-shirt? It does, yes. In Yiddish? If you wear it in Yiddish, then yes, yes. I will now read the verse in Yiddish. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. So here it is. Isaiah 9, 1 through 2. Because the next question that the New Testament addresses is not only who will be, he will be, but actually where will he be born? So let's journey on. But there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt, talking about the Galilee. But later on, you shall make it glorious by the way of the sea. Now, how many of you have ever been to Israel? Raise your hand high. Okay, most of you are waiting for second coming free tickets. Okay, <laughs> got it. I, I understand that. Nobody likes sitting in a bus for nine days. So, well, you, you can come with chosen people ministries. And if you do, we'll take you up to the Galilee and we'll take a boat ride on the Sea of Galilee, Galilee, and you will see how beautiful it is. And it really is beautiful, but I do not suggest you get out of the boat. (laughs) So it is glorious. By way of the sea, on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, you'll see uh, both sides. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. That's the promise to the Galilee. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. Who is the light? What is the light? The one who said, I am the light of the world. And where was he from? The Galilee. Very, very specific. And then, maybe one last prophecy. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Micah was a contemporary of Isaiah. And he writes, But as for you, Bethlehem, Bethlehem, if in Hebrew, should be pronounced Beit and it means house of bread. So, Bethlehem was the bakery. Actually, not really. Uh, Bethlehem was the place. It's, it's, just, it's very close to Jerusalem, about five miles. And it's Bethlehem where they raised sacrificial sheep. Do you know any shepherds who lived in Bethlehem at any time? <laughs> so... It was David's home. So, but as for you, Beit Lechem, house of bread, Ephratah, because you're the one in the south, not in the north, being very specific, too little to be among the clans of Judah. So now, again, building upon all these other prophecies, we understand that whoever this person is that's being described by Micah, who will be born there, is from the tribe of Judah, is from the house of David, because David was born in Bethlehem. From you, Bethlehem, one will go forth for me to be a ruler in Israel. And so the ruler that we expected, who will crush the head of the snake, would be born in Bethlehem, fulfilling the prophecies that he would be from the tribe of Judah, from the house of David. But it goes much further. Look at the last part of the text. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. That's what I would emphasize. In fact, there are two words, Hebrew words here. And uh, when they're used together like this, 98% of the time they refer to God himself prophet knows exactly what he's saying. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Get the picture? The ruler who comes from Judah, who comes from Bethlehem, is the very person who ultimately said, I am the light of the world, and I am the bread of life. It is God himself, the incarnate God, born in Bethlehem. Is goings forth from long ago, from the days of eternity. Well, it's all summarized for me. And this is why I can feel so confident in, in being a believer in Jesus. And it's why I believe that Christmas is a Jewish holiday, which you are now convinced of, aren't you? <laughs> the reason is found in Luke 24. Uh, you know, If there was a Bible class I would like to take, and maybe you would offer this at Millington Baptist sometime, but if you were to invite Jesus to teach a course on Old Testament prophecy, it would be well attended. And so he's walking along uh, the road, and uh, he's on his way to Emmaus, and there are these two despondent, depressed disciples who believe that Jesus may have been the Messiah, but he blew it all because he died. And some women were at his grave and said that he rose, but they haven't seen him yet. So they're griping and complaining to guess who? To Jesus. But he's kind of cloaked. And then he reveals himself to these disciples. I would have loved to have been in their brain when that happened. And then Luke records, then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, and we just went through some, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. My brothers and sisters, we have a strong foundation for our faith because the God who always keeps his promises laid a very clear pathway from Genesis all the way through to the new covenant of who the person would be that would crush the serpent's head, who would save us from sin, who would die for us, who would rise for us, who would ascend to heaven and intercede for us and one day return to reign on his rightful Davidic throne in Jerusalem forever. And that's the Messiah, Yeshua. God is the Savior, the only Savior. And that is why Christmas is a Jewish holiday. (laughs) And that's why we can stand on a strong foundation and this is another reason why we should have such desperate hearts to pray for and to share the good news with our Jewish friends, loved ones, and neighbors. Because if anyone should believe in Yeshua, it should be the Jewish people. You agree? Well, <clears throat> now I need you uh, as we look a little bit, uh, uh, learn a little bit more about chosen people, I need you to take out your brochures, because this is a very special Hanukkah Christmas event. You know, Hanukkah begins tonight, and so you know this has now become a Hanukkah tradition. It's called the tradition of the Tearing of the Brochure." So just take it out, fold it along the perforation at the count of three in Yiddish, no, in Hebrew. We will all rip at the same time to demonstrate our unity. Okay? I know you can do this, but count after me. All right, you ready? Got it? It's in your bulletin if you're looking for it. Okay? Echad. Okay. Little remediation here. Okay, try one more time. Echad. Ah, yeah. Steier. Shalosh. Rip. Kind of like the wave, okay so keep this brochure this one you need to take out an ancient Semitic writing inst- uh, instrument called the pen or the pencil. Uh, archaeologists have discovered them in the 20th century, so if you have a pen or a pencil, please take it out and begin filling this out. We'll be, we have a little place for you to give them to us at the book table and uh, The neat thing about this is if you fill it out and we can read it, uh, then once a month we're going to send you a Chosen People staff member for dinner. Not that you should eat them, but you should feed them, okay? And uh, if you eat pork chops or something like that, just make a note of what night that is and we'll avoid it. So, So fill in your name and address because we'd love to send you the Chosen People newsletter where you can learn more about what God's doing among the Jewish people. Chosen People has been around since 1894. I'm not the founder, in case you're doing the math. <laughs> we began with a, a, a rabbi from Hungary who got saved on the Lower East Side and started Chosen People Ministries to reach Jewish people, his fellow Jewish people with the gospel. And uh, so we've been around a long time. On the other side, if you can go to the next slide, there's, uh, some. there are a number of... Of Places where you can check, you can join us for Shalom New York or Shalom Brooklyn. Uh, This summer, we'd love to have some volunteers. If you have a Jewish friend that you'd like us to talk to about the Lord, give us their name and address. And finally, uh, we also have some great projects, uh, particularly for young people in Israel. We'd love to take you to Israel, and if you behave well, we'll take you back. So that's uh, Experience Israel. So we'd love to be able to, to have you join us. On the back table, we have a copy of of a book that I wrote. It's a dramatic title, I know, called Isaiah 53 Explained. People say, what's it about? I said, well, it explains Isaiah 53. So so that'll be on the back table. We also have another book called The Gospel and the Passover, which is a great uh, book, and it's even got recipes. And uh, the bigger brother called The Messiah and the Passover, you get the whole enchilada on matzah uh, uh, on that one. And so that'll be on the back table as well. So please take a look at the books. The more you take, the less I schlep back uh, to Brooklyn. Well, why don't we unite our hearts in prayer?